This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1 this morning, if you would, Romans chapter 1. I know that you're going to be so proud of yourself and proud of me because after today, we have made it through Romans chapter 1. No, no, hold your applause, hold your applause. I I don't want to waste any time because we've got a lengthy message today. But I I know like 22 messages through chapter 1. I mean, we only have really 11 more chapters left in the whole book. Uh, At our current speed... We've gotten through about uh, six, uh, six months or so through chapter one. There's 12 verses in the book of Romans. At the current rate, we will be finished by 2028. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> right? Look at us. Just blazing through the book like that, man. Exciting stuff. No. Chapter one is heavy. It picks up uh, the pace a little bit uh, where we can group our, our messages together a little bit in the coming weeks, but uh, next week will be Romans chapter two, if you can imagine that. So it's going to be exciting to get through there, but we have one final message standing in the way of that. If you've missed the message so far, you can always get caught up on our church website or through the Hui Kala app. I'd encourage you to get the Hui Kala app because in addition to that, you can also do the fill-in notes on your mobile device if you want to do it that way. Or we're going to put the sheets of paper in your hand where you can make notes and file those away somewhere if you want to do that as well. Whatever you do, take really good notes because you're going to need to come back to this stuff at some point in your life. And I want you to, to remember, maybe even as you're going through your personal worship time in a couple of years, the, when you get to the book of Romans, you're like, oh, I remember hearing messages preached from the book of Romans. So I want to uh, encourage you with that. Romans chapter 1, we're really going to focus on the last four verses of the chapter today. But we'll, for the sake of context, we'll start in verse number 18 to just kind of show you the downward spiral that we see of mankind in the title of today's message, The Fruit of the Depraved Mind. Last week we took a look at how when we forget God, eventually he gives us up to a reprobate or corrupted mind. Uh, our heart has been darkened and we have an appetite for sin at that point. And we're going to see the outgrowth of that, what happens in our life when we're given over completely and totally to sin on this chapter here. Uh, Romans chapter 1. I just want to give you a, a quick heads up as we read through this, as we preach through this today. This passage is speaking of the, the person who has no need for God. This is the unsaved man, has no desire for God or the things of God, just wants to do his own thing. This is not talking primarily about Christians. It's talking about an unsaved person. However, as we go through this, you're going to see a little bit of overlap, unfortunately, in the life of sometimes Christians, where they take God out of his rightful place and they serve idols instead, and uh, they begin to, to set God to the side, and they don't acknowledge God, and they get caught up in sin and uh, things like that. It's a little bit different, but there's a lot of similarities as you go through this. So just kind of keep your head on straight. It's speaking of the unsaved man uh, in Romans chapter 1 here. Romans chapter 1, verse number 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by things that are, are made, even the eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse number 20 is really important because it says, everybody knows that there's a God, and they have no excuse for not knowing about God. But verse number 21 tells us the problem, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like into corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. We're going to see this phrase a couple different times uh, after this in verse 24. God gave them up. In other words, he no longer tried to restrain them from chasing after sin. Verse number 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burn in their lust one towards another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Now, verse 29 through 32 is where we're going to spend most of our time here today. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. My son and I were watching one of those uh, hot dog eating competitions on YouTube uh, a couple of months ago. Th those are fascinating. First of all, uh, I, I think to myself, how can the human stomach be so large to hold like, I don't know, 60-something hot dogs? On a good day, if I haven't had anything to eat all day, I might be able to get four hot dogs down, but these guys are just like shoving them in and taking like a pitcher of water and drinking it as they go. It's one of the most vile yet fascinating things in all of the world, Right? And you think to yourself, are these guys eating because they're hungry? And the answer is no, they're not. They're trying to prove a point, right? But just to watch is just like, and to see them for a minute, they'll stop and they'll gag for a minute. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a sympathetic puker. When I see somebody else throw up, like I lose it. I, like if you throw up, I'm with you. I'm going to throw up too. And so to see these guys like stop and like gag for a second, it causes me to be like, oh my, I think I'm going to throw up. Just watching, right? And to see them gorge and gorge and gorge and eat and eat and eat and to see the sweat rolling down their face and their eyeballs look like they're getting ready to pop out. It's just like, I, I want to look away, but I can't, right? But you see this gorging like that. We see in Romans chapter 1, those who gorge on sin. No longer restrained Nobody has any rules in place that you can only have two hot dogs, you can only have four hot dogs, you can have as much as you want, and then they gorge themselves. God no longer is trying to restrain the sinner and hold them back and say, no, you don't want to go this way, I promise, I'm trying to protect you from this. God gives them over to sin, and then they gorge themselves on sin. If you've ever had the unfortunate opportunity in life to see someone who is chasing after their sin only to gorge themselves on sin. It's hard to watch because I know how this ends. I know what's going to happen at the end of this because Romans chapter 1 tells us how it ends. And so by the same token, when there's no restraint, then there's no, nothing holding us back from chasing after those things. And we see, really begin to see in Romans chapter 1 the downward spiral of the sinful man. 
Romans chapter 18, or, or, sorry, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse number 18, lays out the steps for us of how this works. First of all, the sinner knows that there's a God, verse number 18 through 21. They know that there's a God because God's revealed himself unto all men so that they're without excuse. Anybody who says there is no God just isn't being honest with themselves because the Bible says that God has revealed himself unto all men so that they're without excuse. But when the sinner knows that there is a God, they choose not to glorify God. Well, verse number 21, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. I don't need God. I'm pushing him to the side. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to call the shots now. I'm in charge now. I get to determine what's right and wrong, what's good and evil, and I'll do my own thing. And then what happens is the sinner then replaces God with idols. It's a, it's a change out. I'm going to take the God out of his rightful place, and I'm going to put an idol in its place instead. Now, you might say, well, I just don't believe in God, but I don't necessarily worship idols. Idols are not necessarily statues that have been carved out, although they definitely could be. Idolatry is anything that you would put in place of God. For example, stay with me for just a second. If you decide, I don't need God, I'll figure this out on my own. I don't need God. I've got a handle on everything myself. I don't need to listen to God's rules. I've got my own rules that I follow. God is no longer God. You are. I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, on my terms, on my circumstances. Now you've created a God which is you. And you worship the God of self. Maybe you worship stuff. You worship the God of materialism. Maybe you worship what other people think of you and you have adopted the God of the fear of man, the Bible calls it. Maybe education is more important to you than anything else in the entire world and you have created, taken God out of his rightful place and placed it with the, replaced it with the idol of education, employment, status, work, whatever. It's problematic because when we set God to the side, we have to fill that void. God created within every single human being a void that only he can fill. And when we take God out of that place or we don't seek after God, we have to fill it with stuff. And we see that that stuff doesn't satisfy. And so God gives the sinner over to their own lust. We take a look at verse number 24. Again, this phrase that we see three times in this passage, verse, starting in verse number 24, wherefore God also gave them up to the uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. God up to this point has been trying to make himself visible. He's revealing himself unto all men. Hey guys, here I am. I'm the guy that gives you this stuff. I'm the guy that causes the sun to rise. I'm the guy that causes the rain to fall. I'm the guy who gives you your food that you eat. That's me. I'm God. And the, the sinner says, yeah, I don't want to follow after that. I don't need that. I'm bigger than some guy in the sky. And professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And there came a point where God says, fine, if you want it, go after it. And starting in verse 24, we see God gave them up to the lusts of their flesh. And then we see that God gives the sinner up to their lusts, and then the sinner dishonors and defiles themselves. So again, we see in verse number 24, God gave them up to the uncleanness, to the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, we're beginning to get into, in this passage, we've already covered it for three weeks, the sexual deviancy portion of this. Please understand this. When you give yourself up to sexual immorality, you not only defile yourself, you not only dishonor yourself, but you strip yourself of your own dignity. 
So that sounds really harsh. I didn't say it. That's what verse 24 says. For the person who chases after sexual immorality, thinking that will bring fulfillment, but it only brings guilt and shame and a lack of self-worth, that's because you've chosen to dishonor your body by dishonoring God, and it strips you of your very own dignity. That's why people who find themselves in sexually promiscuous relationships never find satisfaction. They only find guilt, shame, and a loss of self. That's what the Bible promises. But again, to chase after sexual immorality, you have to say, I don't want to follow God. I want to follow my own feelings, my own desires, my own carnality. I want to follow the ways of this world. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be appreciated. When you actually are trading out the ability to be loved for the desire of fulfilling sexual immorality and sexual deviancy. And then the sinner dishonors and defiles himself. And then it gets down to verse number uh, uh, 26. God gave them up unto vile affections. And begins to speak of homosexuality in verses 26 and 27, which again, according to the Bible, is a sin. We covered that for three weeks, so we won't cover it at length here today. And then finally, the sinner no longer acknowledges God. This is where we were at last week. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up. This is the third time you see that, that phrase, gave them up. Gave them up to a reprobate or corrupted mind. So if you remember in verse number um, 21, the end of verse number 21, their heart was darkened. Verse number 28, their mind became corrupt. And so with a darkened heart and a corrupted mind, now we have a sinner who chases after sin. And they no longer acknowledge God. You see, verse 28 is really scary Because up to this point, they know that there's a God. They realize that they're rebelling against God, but they really just don't care. But I get to verse 28, God doesn't even factor into the decision matrix any longer. He's not not even an afterthought. He's no thought at all. The sinner has forgotten God, wants nothing to do with God, and has chosen to live a life in rebellion to God. And so you think that's bad? Verse 29 through 31 just shows how much worse it even gets, and it outlines 23 different types of sins and 23 different categories that the dark heart and the corrupt mind chase after. And we see here in verse 28, God's not given up the sinner to immoral acts, but to a depraved mind that craves sin. And so we see in the, the previous two verses where God gave them up to vile affections and unclean lusts, they, they, they fleshed that out in sexual immorality, sexual deviancy, homosexual relationships. But now God is not giving them up to certain acts. God's giving their entire mind up. And when your heart and your mind are gone, there's little hope of anything that you can do on your own. That's why people feel trapped in sin. They can't seem to get out of it. It's a, it's a rut that they're in that they can't figure out how to dig themselves out of. And they oftentimes will give up and say things like, well, this is just who I am. This is who I've always been. This is just my nature. This is my personality. This is who I am and I can't change. And apart from the Spirit of God changing someone from the inside out, they're absolutely right. They don't have the power to change in and of themselves. This is a dangerous place to be, 
It's not unique to our society for sure. As we read through Romans chapter 1, it seems like we're reading about current events. But one of the first books of the entire Bible that was ever written, now the Bible isn't written in chronological order, I mean, it's arranged by subjects primarily. One of the oldest books that was written was the book of Job. And in the days of Job, Job 21, verse number 14, they had a similar mindset. Therefore, they say unto God, they say unto God, depart from us, for we desire not knowledge of thy ways. I don't know, want to know what you think. What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit should we have if we pray to him? Like, why, why should we even listen to God? Who does he think he is after all? And what good would it do us to pray to him? I don't, even, I don't even care what God has to say. And God says, okay. And so God's not willing to stay anywhere where he's not welcome. And so you don't want me? Fine. Go and do your own thing. And God has given up the sinner, to their lust, to the uncleanness of their heart, and now to a corrupted mind as well. And the problem with a darkened heart and a corrupted mind is what the carnal heart wants, the carnal heart gets. To the one who's chasing after fulfillment in sin, they're going to find a way to get what they want. I remember... Early on in Angel and I's marriage, we, we didn't get any type of premarital counseling and didn't get any type of, I didn't know what the first thing about finances or balancing a checkbook or anything like that. And there was a particular car that we wanted and we didn't have the money for it because we were young and dumb and didn't have any money in savings. And, and so I went to try to get financing for this car and they basically said, you know, your, your money that you have and your credit doesn't line up and so you, we can't get you this car. I don't like to take no for an answer. So I thought, I'll find a way to do it. And we jumped through 101 hoops and, and sold this, that, and the other to be able to get a down payment, to get financing that was a terrible interest rate and paying an exorbitant amount of money for a car that was, we owed more on it. The day that we bought it, we owed more on that car than it was actually worth on the blue book. And it was just a series of terrible, terrible decisions, one after another, after another. But it's just an illustration of how when your heart wants something, you're going to make a way to get it. That's why the Bible says we can't trust our heart. We can't follow our emotions. And one of the most foolish pieces of advice that anybody could ever give someone is follow your heart. Your heart is corrupt. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart will lead you astray 10 times out of 10. And so you can't trust your heart. Because in this case here now, the, the carnal man wants sin. And that's what it, precisely what he gets. He's willing to blow past everything in the world to be able to chase after his sin. With the majority of people that I've sat down with and had conversations with whose marriages have ended in divorce, I usually ask them the same question. Through the dating process and the premarital process before you got married, were there any red flags that you shouldn't marry this person? I have yet to find one person who has been married and divorced who has said there was no red flags, it was just green lights all the way. Not one person. Everybody says, well, yeah, you know, I knew he was angry and abusive before we got married, but I thought, you know, Jesus can change anybody. Yeah, I knew she was an alcoholic, but I thought that I could change her. Yeah, I knew that she had been unfaithful in her previous relationships, but I thought that this one would be different. Every single one of you blew past those red flags to get what you wanted. Please understand, God slows us down and puts red flags in our place for a reason. And one of the ways that, and sometimes people say, well, how do I uh, avoid making mistakes like that? You walk in wisdom. 
you follow biblical wisdom, you follow godly biblical counsel, and you talk to people who know Jesus and have been walking with Jesus for decades and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. What are your thoughts on this? But many times people don't do that. There was a young lady who was in our church years ago who had date, was interested in dating a guy who had actually been asked to leave our church because of sexual immorality. Unbeknownst to me, she ended up dating this guy for a couple of months until he got what he wanted, and, and she, he discarded her, and she comes back to me and my wife, heartbroken over the fact, that how could a guy do this to me? And I told her, I didn't even know that you were dating this guy until they'd already broken up. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that you were dating this guy, and if you had asked me, I could have saved you so much heartache, so much heartache. And I'll never forget, if I lived to be 120, I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, Pastor, I didn't ask you because, anybody want to help me? I knew what you'd say. I knew what you'd say. So you knew that I would have tried to stop you? Absolutely. And I didn't want to be stopped. Okay. In cases like that, the carnal heart wants what the carnal heart wants, and it's going to do whatever it takes to get it, regardless of what lengths it has to go to, to do that. And so the problem with this is, is that the sinner's mind is depraved and his appetite for sin is voracious. When we throw off God's wisdom, we set God to the side, we replace God with our own God, an idol of our own design, we make ourselves in charge of what's right versus wrong, what's good versus evil, what we're going to do, what we're not going to do. Then we begin to indulge ourselves in sin. We have an appetite that can't be satisfied. Because here's the problem. For someone who, again, goes about dating the entire wrong way and gets into a, a, a dating relationship based on lust or sexual desire or things like that, and then everything blows like it's going to, guaranteed, then they begin to say things like, well, maybe that was just the wrong person. I'll try it again with a different person, and then that blows up on them. And then they begin to crave that sin, and they just continue to go through a string of terrible, terrible, terrible decisions, one on top of the other. And then they think, well, I just haven't met the right person yet. And I don't know how many of you have ever heard somebody say things like, well, love and marriage just don't work. It's just like, oh, no, 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 no. It totally works. You're just doing it the wrong way. Like, like, look, I can point you to two dozen marriages of people that are broken, wretched sinners that lean on God's grace for decades to love and serve each other until the day that they die. That's how marriage works. But people chase after sin, and then they wonder why love and marriage don't work, because you're doing it the wrong way. But you do it God's way, you'll find what you're looking for. But here's the problem. The problem is that craving in the depths of their soul, the void that has been left in their soul when they set God to the side, they're trying to fill it with stuff only to find out stuff doesn't satisfy. Well, I bought a new car, and then the next year's model comes out, and it's got more bells and whistles than the one that I had before. What am I supposed to do now? I bought a house, and then, like, my house isn't worth what I paid for it anymore. Now, what am I supposed to do? Like, you know, I put my kids in this school thinking they're getting this incredible education, but my kids, like, can't even do their homework, you know? We bought this house in this neighborhood that has zero crime, and we woke up one morning, and somebody broke it into our car. Like, what are we supposed to do? And you think that whatever you get is going to provide the, the, the life-changing satisfaction 
that everything in the world will be right once you get this one thing, only to be disappointed when it doesn't resolve anything. For those that are married, we'll find humor in this next statement. So many times I talk to single adults, and I say, the only problem that I have in my life is that I'm not married, and if I got married, I wouldn't have any problems. <laughs> to which I say, that's so sweet that you think that. Because what you don't realize, if you're not thinking biblically, is you have one sinner who wants to live for the rest of their life with another sinner. And this sinner's got problems, and this sinner's got problems, and when they come together, the problems don't magically disappear. The problems are exponentially multiplied now. Not to say marriage is a bad thing. Marriage is an incredible thing. But don't get into it thinking it fixes anything because it doesn't fix anything. The only person that can fix what's broken in the depths of your soul is Jesus Christ. And if he's not the center of your dating relationship, your marriage relationship, your workplace relationships, everything else, it's only a matter of time before it all unravels. And so... This sinner has an appetite. I'm like, well, I, I thought that this job would make me feel better. And I get to this job only to find out that job's still got problems. So I think I need another job now. And to talk to people who they've had six different jobs in the last 18 months, and every single place they go is a toxic work environment. Like, <laughs> the only common denominator in six different workplaces over 18 months is you, right? But every single one of those happens to be toxic. It's just like... But they're, again, they're chasing. If I could just find that one job, it would solve all the problems in my life. It doesn't solve anything. Because the sinner has an appetite for sin that cannot be satisfied. They say that when heroin users use heroin for the first time, they reach a high that they've never had in their entire life and can never get again. And they chase after that high every single time, pushing themselves oftentimes into overdoses and near death's door what, chasing that high that they feel like maybe possibly they could one day have again. And that just shows you how sin works. Sin gives you a little taste that you're like, oh, that was good. If I could ever feel that again. And then you chase after that. And with a, a, a darkened heart and a corrupted mind, the sinner chases after those things to no end. It's interesting to note in this, this passage, Paul outlines 23 different sins but rarely does one indulge in one sin to the neglect of others. Generally, when the restraints are off and the barriers are removed, the sinner indulges in this depravity. Oh, I no longer have to do what's right. I have to do what feels right. And so generally, someone doesn't just struggle with pride, for example. Pride is a wicked, terrible, awful sin that destroys everything that it touches. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Only by pride comes contention, strife, drama in your life. The root result of that is always pride. Rarely, rarely does pride live by itself. Pride generally gets coupled together with gossip, slander to be able to put other people down to lift yourself up. Pride wants people to think better of itself, so pride will often go to great lengths to do things in a deceitful way to build themselves up. They'll chase after materialism to make themselves appear more successful than they actually are. And pride just destroys everything that it touches. And so the idea that the sinner can have this one sin that they hang on to and everything else in their life is right just isn't so. 
to be able to chase after the sin of the sinner, they have to neglect other areas of their life. For example, if you have a man who decides that he wants to become an alcoholic or drink alcohol to the neglect of his family, sure, he's a drunkard, but he's also derelict in his duties to his family, which is another sin. He's not loving his wife the way that Jesus loves his church, which is a sin. And it's all connected. That's why, you know, in this room today, I'm talking to primarily Christians. If you're not a Christian, you need to, to know Jesus Christ as Savior today because you're stuck in this rut and you can't get out on your own. But the, for those of us that have been saved or born again, we need to understand that when sin comes into our life, we can't make allowance for that. Well, yeah, I'm proud, but I mean, my, my pride's not causing me to, like, be unfaithful to my wife yet. And again, the idea is that we have in our minds is that if we have this little bitty sin in our life, it's not that big of a deal. It's always going to stay a little bitty sin. But sin never stays little. It always grows. It always infects other areas of our life. And it's only a matter of time before sin gets its tentacles around every single area of your life and chokes the life out of you. Because the promise of God's word is sin, when it is finished, brings forth, somebody help me, death, death 100% of the time always. So you can't make allowance for it. So Paul goes on in, in verses 29, 30, and 31 and gives us a list of 23 different types of sin. And these are the evidence of an unregenerate, unsaved heart. Proof that this person is not a Christian. Proof that this person has set God to the side. Proof that this person has replaced God with idols. First of all, unrighteousness. This is just a big, huge blanket term on everything sinful. Unrighteousness obviously is the opposite of righteousness, doing the right thing as God commands. Unrighteousness is basically doing everything against what God commands. The second one listed here is fornication, which again, we talked about over the last several weeks. It's just kind of a blanket term for any type of sexual sin or sexual immorality. It's also important to note that when we study the Bible, when we examine the Bible, the process by which we examine and study the Bible, we generally refer to as hermeneutics. In hermeneutics, one of the, the ways that we interpret Scripture is by the order of primary mention. So in other words, the things that are mentioned first are generally sometimes going to be the most important. And so we don't believe that God does anything by coincidence. We don't think that God's sitting up there going like, unrighteousness, fornication, put that one next, yeah. Because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. God breathed. The Holy Spirit used men of God. Paul, in this case, the, the letter to the church at Rome. Paul's writing under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit's telling him what to write, and he's writing it. And so these are not just random things that God's kind of throwing off the top of his head. They're in order on purpose. And when you look through the sins in the Bible, when it gives a list of sins that will take you to hell, Sexual immorality is generally at the top of that list. It's very rarely found at the bottom. So when we talk about sexual sin, sexual sin is destructive in so many ways. Paul even goes on to tell the church at Corinth, hey, every sin that you do, you generally sin outside of your body. But sexual sin, fornication is a sin against your own body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Sexual sin in the Old Testament was such a big deal that people would be put to death for sexual sin. Adultery, Homosexuality, sexual assault, 
punishable by death. So again, it's one of those things that to God is so important. And let me just say this. In the history of Huikala, I have had less than 10 people tell me that they're struggling with pornography. Our church turns nine years old next year, so that's like on average one a year. I am not so foolish to believe that there's not somebody seated in this room this morning that hasn't looked at pornography in the last 48 hours. I'd like to think that that wasn't the case, that we're bigger than that, we're more mature than that, we're past that. But I know this sinful carnal heart. I know that we're a society that is hypersexualized to things today. That like everything has to have a sexual connotation with it. I get it that we need to, you know, paint crosswalks and wear pins and talk about our pronouns and things like that to draw attention to our sexuality. All that, please understand, is a trick of the devil, 100% of it. We were, I was with a friend this past weekend, and we saw Carl's Jr., and he says, I quit eating Carl's Jr. years ago when they started having sexual hamburger ads. And I thought, I never liked Carl's Jr. to begin with, but I definitely don't like it now, right? But think about that. Like, do we really need scantily clad, half-naked women to sell hamburgers? Like, can't you just be like, cows are good, and beef is good, and like, it makes you feel good, and it tastes good? Like, do we really have to sexualize that? We don't, but we live in a society that requires that. That the requirement these days is to sell things through sexual stimulation. But please understand, that's insatiable as well. I don't follow Hollywood media gossip and stuff like that, but I saw a headline this past week that there's a prominent uh, pop singer who was unfaithful to his wife who just so happens to be a Victoria's Secret model. Hmm. You know what that says? Sexual appetite will never be met as long as we're living outside of the will of God. Never. You constantly want more and more and more. That's why I'm going to say something that I hope will save your life if you'll just hear me out today. If you struggle with sexual immorality or you struggle with pornography, please do yourself a favor and talk to your pastor today. Because of the 10 people that have come to me on their own, and had the guts to tell me that they're struggling with pornography or a sexually inappropriate relationship, that I've been able to help through that. Unfortunately, I've had three dozen people who have had to come to me with their spouse because they got caught. And it's always good to get out ahead of it rather than waiting around to get caught because I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. Be sure your sin will find you out. Guaranteed. And you might be sitting here going, good grief, Pastor, like every other week you're talking about pornography. It is the most destructive sin that I have ever seen in the church, by far. And talking with our missionaries over the last couple of months, I talked with Dave Board uh, in Cambodia. Cambodia, third world country. What are the sins that you guys struggle with the most that you see in your church and amongst the people there in Cambodia? Pornography and materialism. What? He said, yeah, he goes, once they got smartphones and began to see what America is producing, he said they got sucked in by it. Oh, that hurts my heart. Josh Lovegrove, our missionary in Ethiopia, we were having coffee with him. Hey, what type of things do people in Ethiopia struggle with? <laughs> Materialism and pornography. What? He said, nobody in, in Ethiopia carries iPhones. Like that, That's like they might as well cost $5 million over there. He said they have these cheap Android phones. They have to pay for data. He said when they go to bed at night, not only do they set their alarm on their phone, but also turn off their data because it will use up their data while they're sleeping. They don't want to do that. 
He says, they're constantly enabling and, and disabling their data because it's so precious to them. But many of the large data consumers are people who look at pornography. And he goes, it's, it's just absolutely torn our country apart. So I say that to give you a word of warning because be sure your sin will find you out and when you get caught, you'll be able to say that you were warned, you might have even been under Holy Spirit conviction and you resisted. Don't do that. I just want to help. And please understand, when you come to your pastor, everything you say is in confidence and everything that you say uh, stays with me and I just want to help you. I don't want to condemn you, put you down, make you feel bad, embarrass you. I just want to help. And so as your pastor, give me that privilege because sexual sin is something that Christians should not do. Number three, wickedness. This is any type of perversion. We sometimes throw the word pervert or perversion out when we think about, again, certain types of sexual deviancy and things like that. But perversion is anytime we take something and use it for a purpose rather than what it was intended for. For example, how many of you have been painting or renovating a house and you go to put on the light switch covers and you can't find a flathead screwdriver, so you find, uh, somebody help me, butter knife, right? You're a pervert and you just admitted it, right? <laughs> you just admitted it. Why? Because you used something for a purpose other than what it was intended for, right? Now, again, that's what the word perversion means. It doesn't mean that you use a butter knife to put in a, a, a light switch cover that you're a pervert. It means that you use something for a, a different purpose. But this word wickedness means to take something that was used for a good purpose and make it wicked. For example, get this. God has given you a job to glorify him and to use it as a testimony to God's faithfulness in your life. Through that job, he gives you money that you make that you're supposed to be given to advance the kingdom, bless others, and take care of your own personal needs. But you don't use your job for that. You use your job not to glorify God, but to glorify yourself. You use the money that you get to enrich yourself. You steal from the kingdom, you don't bless others, and you don't buy just your needs, you buy every single thing that you want. You have taken what God intended for his glory and you've perverted it and make it for your own glory. That's wickedness, what this word means. And so I've given you one word synonyms for these, most of these, or a brief definition of what these words mean. Covetousness is a desire to have something that doesn't belong to you. Again, this covetousness goes back so far that we see that when Cain and Abel presented their sacrifice, Abel's sacrifice was acceptable, Cain's was not, so Cain killed Abel. Why? Out of greed. I want God's blessing and I didn't get it, so I'm willing to take your life to get it. I guarantee you, pride is almost always attached to greed as well. I want more so I can have more status. It's so important that God made it one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, desiring things that don't belong to you. Then we have maliciousness. This is an intention to do evil. This isn't somebody who just accidentally did something wrong. This is somebody who intentionally planned to sin. Someone who went through a lot of different steps to sin against God. It's not somebody who's just like, oh, I wasn't even thinking, and this thing just happened, or I mean, somebody cut me off in traffic, and a word came out that, man, I wish I wouldn't say. This is someone who had the forethought and planning to put together how they would sin, that's what the Bible speaks of when it means maliciousness. Envy. envy is resentment towards the success of someone else. Greed and envy sometimes work together. For example, uh, my son and I, this is probably four years ago or so ago when they opened up the international marketplace over in Waikiki, 
um, they, had a, they have a Tesla dealership or a Tesla showroom down there at, at the uh, uh, International Market. And he said, hey, let's go and look at the Teslas. I was like, oh, man, I've never sat in a Tesla before. It'd be fun. Never thought about owning a Tesla, but the moment that I sat down inside of it, I wanted one. Like, I want it. I didn't have it before, but I want it now. Like, because I sit in there and it's like, it, like, it like wraps around you. And like, if you could get a hug from a car, that's what it feels like, right? Because like, everything closes in, this big screen lights up in front of you, and you get the cameras all around to see everything that's going on, and you look up, and the whole ceiling is glass, and you go to get out, and the, the doors open up on the side like this, and you're just like, oh. five minutes ago, I didn't know, but I really need this. I mean, like, you know, to think of like zero carbon emissions, because I want to do my part for the environment, never mind the fact that they're burning fossil fuels and coal to get me my electricity, right? I want to do my part, you know? Um, and, but here's the thing, five minutes after getting out of that car, I forgot that I even wanted it. What happened in that little window there? Greed happened. And if greed has allowed the space to grow, it eventually turns to envy, and how greed, sometimes people think greed and envy are the same, they're not. Greed is, I want that Tesla so stinking bad. Envy is, you shouldn't own that because I want it, and you got something that I didn't, and I'm going to think of a reason why you don't have it, why you shouldn't have it. And now envy is mad at you because you got something I felt like I deserved. Very common when you see somebody get promoted and the other person doesn't, man, I'm, I'm ticked because you're a dirtbag. If everybody knew the type of guy you are, you wouldn't have gotten promoted. I deserve what you have. That's envy, and that doesn't lead anywhere good for sure. Again, greed and envy always work together with pride for sure. We'll get down to murder. If there's anyone that of this list you could kind of take a breath on, be like, whoo, don't have to worry about that one. Murder. But then if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you begin to get convicted again because Jesus says, if you look at your brother with hatred in your heart and you call him an ugly name, you've committed murder against, against him in your heart. And so this list here isn't necessarily the things that we actively do. It's often the things that we actively think about. I, I've never murdered anybody, but I've, I've... Can I just say this without you guys judging me? I've wished for people to die before because I've been so enraged. I've repented of it, made it right. There's nobody that I wish would die today, but I've been so mad at people before that I've had thoughts of physically harming them in my mind. And like, you can't go there, even with your thoughts. Because here's the thing, once you make permission in your mind and your heart to think thoughts like that, you've allowed sin into your life. When you begin to make permission for sin, you, you don't have any control over how far it goes. Next debate, this is sowing strife and interpersonal conflict. Have you ever met somebody before who loves drama? And if there's not drama, they'll create some drama just because they like to, to watch people fight and feel uncomfortable and be awkward. And, and like, everything was fine until you brought that up, you know? Like, I heard somebody one time was just like, man, I'm glad you married her, not that girl that you dated in high school, right? And it's just like, Okay, that's not helpful at all. Like, we don't talk about that kind of stuff. It's like, well, you remember her. I mean, she was super good looking, right? It's just like, that's strife sowing. That's drama. Uh, we don't want any part of that. And, and just know this. This list that we have here of the, the items that are characteristic of an unbeliever, these have no place in the life of a Christian and no place in the life of Jesus' church, and so when we, I as a pastor identify these things, I'm on it like white on rice because this can't be of people who call themselves Christ followers. Next is deceit. 
Deceit is craftiness. Deceit is further than lying. Deceit has an, an intention to lead you astray. For example, if I told you that I am a multi-millionaire, that would be a lie. And you could just brush it off like, that's a lie. If I told you this this past week, I've been kind of down this week. It's been a rough week for me. Um, my uncle passed away. He's like um, the only uncle that I ever really was close to. Um, he didn't have any kids, and so me and my brother were kind of like his adopted kids, and he'd take us to basketball games. We'd shoot hoops and stuff like that, and um, he, he even came to my wedding, my uncle, and we were super close. Um, sorry, I'm getting a little bit emotional. Uh, he was well off, and um, he left me and my brother basically everything that he had, um, and it was several million dollars, and so. Now, some of you, I say I'm, I'm a millionaire. You, you just automatically discount. Then I begin to tell you a story, and you're sitting here waiting like, is he telling the truth? Is like, is this an illustration, or did like this really happen to him? That's what deceit does. Deceit gets your emotions involved so that you shut off your critical thinking skills and believe a lie. Do people really believe that there's a Nigerian prince with $15 million that he's trying to smuggle out of the country before it gets stolen by the corrupt government? Nobody believes that. But somebody says, well, I mean, like, what could it hurt, right? I mean, if I send him $100 via Western Union, maybe he'll send me $10,000, maybe. I mean, what could it hurt? What happens? They've been deceived. And please understand this, Christian, when you chase after anything on this list of sin or anything that God calls sin, you have been deceived into believing it will actually bring satisfaction. It's a lie. And you've got your emotions hooked in where you can believe it's a lie. One of the worst things in the world I hate to hear as a pastor, and I hear it all the time. I know what the Bible says, but my situation's different. No, it's not. You're precisely why the Bible was written. You're precisely why God says, don't do that stuff. You're not the exception to the rule. You are the rule. But deceit has a way of doing that. That's why the Bible says that your heart is deceitful above all things. It's wicked. Who can know it? Don't follow your heart. It's deceitful. Next, malignity. This is malice. This is vindictiveness. Malignity is I'm trying to purposely hurt other people. And again, we can look at that and go, wow, who would do such a thing? The person who says, God doesn't exist, I am God. I'm going to get what I want. I don't care who I have to hurt, who I have to step on, who I have to cast in a negative light to get what I want. I'm willing to do that at any cost. Whisperers, these are people who gossip and talk about people behind their back and, and spread stories about people that they have no business telling. Gossip is anytime you tell somebody else's business without being part of the problem or the solution. They're just talking about it to be talking about it. And unfortunately, sometimes in Christian circles, we can say, oh, would you pray for Jerry? Like, I heard he struggled with pornography, so we should pray for him. No, you're just gossiping and trying to put a spiritual spin on it. Mind your business, keep your mouth shut. Don't talk about things that you shouldn't talk about. That's what gossip does. Slander takes gossip to the next level. Slander purposely tells lies about people so that people will think less of them. I'm out to damage this person's reputation. I'm out to cast this person, not tell their business, it's not my business to tell, but to tell their business and mix in lies so that people will think poorly of them. Let me just say this so that everybody's on the same page. Gossip and slander have a zero tolerance policy at who we call it. You're involved in this, you make it right or you get out. Take that down to, to First Community Bible Church and destroy their church. You won't destroy Jesus' church here. 
You say, you sound really passionate about that. I've seen gossip rip churches apart. And there have been like three times in the history of our church where someone had to be confronted on this. One of which they said, hey, you know what, I'm just going to continue to do my own thing. And if what I'm saying is the truth, it's none of your business. And I said, you can tell that all you want to at another church. You're just not going to do it here. And I told them they couldn't come back. That's, the res- that's how serious this is. Because it destroys churches and it destroys Christians. And this is, this is a list of, of things that unbelievers do, not Christians. So it has no place in Jesus' church. Next, haters of God. These are people who just continue to shake their fists at God. It's interesting. People that are haters of God will deny the existence of God, deny the accountability to God, but the moment that something goes bad in their life, they'll blame God for it. Isn't it interesting? When, like, well, if God's such a God of love, why did my grandmother die with cancer, huh? Well, what was your accountability to God six months ago? You, you want to believe in God now that it's convenient for you to argue against his goodness? You, did you automatically just start believing in God now that you have, need somebody to blame something on? That's what haters of God do. They're, they're not content with just saying, okay, there's no God. Whatever you do is good for you. I do stuff that's good for me. They're enough, they, they take it to the next level that, that you're an idiot for believing in God. You're a fool. You hang your, your hat on some old guy up in the sky that doesn't even hear you. Put your faith in a book that you don't even know who actually wrote it. You know, I can set your mind to be controlled by a church who's you know, brainwashing you. All those other things. These people are haters of God. Next, despiteful. These are people who are self-confident. And they use their self-confidence and their arrogance to put down other people, which feeds into number 15, pride. These are people, again, that are self-confident, arrogant, which leads into boasters, people who brag about themselves. Again, pride, bragging, and arrogance have no place in the life of a Christian. Look, if anything good has ever happened in my life, which it has, I've been blessed, it's not because I'm such a great guy. It's because I serve great, such a great God. Like two weeks from today, we're going to celebrate nine years of God's faithfulness. Like we, be, we started over there where the super church classroom is. That used to be our main auditorium. Like our, our first Wednesday night Bible study that we had over there, we had eight people. Like we're getting ready to start our 12th group this Wednesday night. Well, yeah, I'm a pretty good pastor. I kind of had all this planned out. This was my 10-year plan, but we made it a year early. <laughs> no, I'm not smart enough to figure this out. We just showed up and we obeyed the Bible and God's blessed us. And if anything good has ever happened at who we call a Baptist church, which a lot of good's happened. We baptized three people last Sunday, which was awesome. It's by the grace of God. We have no reason to brag or boast. Anytime we think to ourselves like, well, I work hard for what I do. God gave you the ability to work hard. Well, I've made good connections with people over the course of my career. God's put those people in your path. You have nothing to brag or boast about. Only the grace of God at work in your life. Number 17, inventors of evil things. These are people who try, try to find new ways to break God's law and new ways to sin. Interesting one that gets thrown in here in the middle is disobedient to parents. And so, parents, you should make note of this because you might need to pull it up. Like, in the list of people that God is upset with, backbiters, slanderers, haters of God, is disobedient to parents, too. It seems kind of strange that of all these terrible, awful, wicked things, just like, Disobedience to parents gets thrown in there. And then we go back to, you know, what, what's after that? Uh, disobedience to parents um, without understanding. Like, strange. It's not strange at all because here's why. God created an authority structure. Always has. At the top of the authority structure is God. 
always has been, always will be. Because God is our Father. So it creates a family authority structure where the parents are responsible for the behavior of their children as ordained by God. So if your kid ever gets a smart mouth and says, well, who put you in charge? God did. You just shut your mouth before I wash it out with soap, right? We only had one kid where he had to wash out their mouth with soap, and they never forgot it. But here's the thing. I'm not even going to do the pleasure of telling you who it is. You get to find that out on your own. But here's the thing. To rebel against parents is to rebel against God's authority structure. God is the God of all authority. The Bible tells us you will always be subject to someone. Always. You're always going to have a boss. Oh, I'm self-employed. No, you might be self-employed, but you still have a boss. You still have rules that you have to follow. If you're self-employed and you're a self-made man and you don't answer to nobody, you still answer to Uncle Sam when he tells you what you owe every April 15th in taxes. You're still subject to authority. All of us are. But that authority structure has been created by God and to rebel against authority is to rebel against God. And again, we see pockets of our country who decide we don't want authority. We want to allow everybody to do what they want. We're going to defund the police. We're going to block off and cordon off our city where we are now in charge of everything and allow anarchy to rule. What happens with that? It all falls apart. It ends up turning into a big burning mess. The second that somebody gets shot, they're calling 911, but 911 can't get in because they barricaded the streets. We don't want the cops to come until somebody's broken into our house with a firearm. Then we want the cops again, don't we? Why? Because God has always created an authority structure, always, and we're to be subject to authority. So to be disobedient to your parents is at a young age to learn that authority doesn't have the right to tell you what to do when authority has always been ordained by God. Next. Uh, Number 19, without understanding, these are people who can't comprehend uh, life, can't comprehend the truth of God's word. Uh, Number 20, covenant breakers, these are people who can't keep their word, who break their promises, who break their contracts, who aren't held liable for their actions and aren't accountable for what they do. 21 is unique because it's just without natural affection, and that might draw you back to uh, verses uh, 27 where it talks about men having unnatural affection for one another. It's not talking about homosexual uh, love here versus heterosexual love. It's talking about the ability to just be decent to your common man. Like somebody says, hey, could you give me a hand with this? Not feeling compassion or care for them, just totally writing them off and not having any type of natural affection or compassion towards another human being. Next, implacable. These are people who are unable to be placated or made less angry. Uh, These are the people who, hey, you tell them to settle down. They can't settle down. They don't have control over their emotions. The Bible says a man who can't control his own emotions and spirit is like a city without walls. There's no defense. They're uh, susceptible to attack from every side. Implacable definitely fits in that category. And then finally, unmerciful, those who aren't willing to hold back judgment or uh, bad repercussions on people, but delight in people not having mercy. So list of 23 things that are characteristic of the unsaved man. Christian... If you see yourself in this list, I'm going to ask you to do one thing and one thing only. Repent of your sin before God. Because this is not the way Christians live. 
the unsaved man, the person who doesn't know God, the person who has set God off, the person who is chasing after the things of this world, the person who is involved in idolatry, this is how they live, not us, okay? So repent and make things right before God. If you're here today and you say, I don't know for sure that I'm saved, this list identifies you and you say, well, not all of those identify me. It's only a matter of time before sin engulfs your entire existence. And so, again, sin might start small, but it never stays small. It always continues to grow. Now, it's also important to note that there's not a list of sins in the Bible that keeps someone from going to heaven, only a description of a lifestyle that's not congruent with the regenerate heart of a Christian. It's a lot of words, I know, but we're going to break it down and process through it, and we'll be done, okay? Here's the deal. You're not going to go to hell because you had premarital sex, You're not going to go to hell because you're disobedient to your parents. You're not going to go to hell because you cheated on a project at work. You're not going to go to hell because you were involved in sexual immorality, okay? Whatever the list of sins is. You're not going to hell for those sins. You're going to hell because your sin has not been forgiven by God. I've broken God's law, you've broken God's law, and we need to settle up. There's consequences for your sin. When you die, you're going to go to hell because you've sinned against God. The sin which you committed doesn't really matter at the end of the day, but you've sinned against God. You're guilty. Guaranteed you're guilty because I'm guilty. There's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says, and that is going to send you to hell, your sin as a whole in total. And without any outside assistance, you and I will spend eternity separated from God in hell. But God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. Jesus came for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to die for our sins. And so I was supposed to be punished. Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God. Jesus endured the wrath of God on my behalf. I was supposed to pay for every wrong thing that I've ever done, but Jesus paid it all. So, now this is the most important thing in the world. There must be a point in time where you put your faith in Jesus alone as Savior and you turn from your sin to Jesus as Lord and Master. That process is called being born again or saved. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Those words are synonymous. They mean the same thing. Here's what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. The only way to go to heaven is to be saved. Being saved is not joining a church. It's not about being baptized. It's not about being a really good person. Being saved is this. Confessing your faith before God. I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. Faith, and then comes repentance. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. Because I don't want to live that way anymore. That's repentance. And if you've never confessed faith in God and Jesus Christ and repented of your sin, friend, you are not saved, you are not born again. And this list is a list of what happens to your life. And some people are like, well, I'm just trying to figure it all out. I get it. But you've taken God out of his rightful place and you put yourself up top so that you can figure things out. Don't do that. Just put your faith and trust in God and God alone to save you from your sin. You need to be born again. So sometimes people misunderstand in the Bible when there's this list of of sins that people commit and it says, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you think like, oh, I want to make sure I didn't break any of the rules on that list. No, no, no. 
it's not a matter of did I break any of the rules on the list. It's a matter of does my life reflect a heart that has been truly changed by God? And if your heart has been changed by God, you're not going to have an angry, cursing, bitter heart that's given over to alcohol, that's given over to sexual immorality, that dabbles in drugs. That's not what a changed heart looks like. That looks like the old sinful heart that has not been saved by Jesus. But sometimes people get messed up and they say, well, oh, I want to do all these things and so that'll make my heart clean. No, no, no. The only way to make your heart clean is to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus. That cleanses your heart. Now you got to keep it clean. And it's not a matter of well, what happens if I fail. You're forgiven and you need to knock it off. You don't lose your salvation. You don't go to hell because you've sinned after you've been born again. But it's important to note that, that your lifestyle, if you're a child of God, should reflect the lifestyle of a child of God. These verses are in your notes. If you don't have a copy of the notes, you should turn over to these verses as we go through them. Not only this verse in Romans chapter 1 tells us uh, in verse 32, they which commit such things are worthy of death. But then in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. The first four fruits of the, of the flesh are sexual idolatry in nature. So again, first thing that gets listed, we see fornication and adultery. Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings. The word revelings means partying and such the like, which I tell you before, I've told you in time past. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if your life is a life of adultery, fornication, idolatry, hatred, wrath, strife, envy, if, that, if those words sum up the way that you live your life on a day-to-day basis, based on what the word of God says, you are not saved. Because this is your life. Now, can Christians do these things? For sure. But they'll be chastised, they'll be called to repentance, and they need to be brought back to a right relationship with God. But if this is your life, and your life is categorized by these types of things, you're obviously not a Christian because Jesus changes hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, again, sexual sin, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate or abusers of themselves with mankind. Both of those deals with homosexuality. If you want to know what they mean, look it up or come talk to your pastor afterwards. I'll tell you what those two means. Effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 3. But fornication, again, first thing listed. All uncleanness, uncovetousness, let it not be once named amongst you. Christians, don't act this way as becometh saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, sexual sin again, nor unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, because these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5, mortify, put to death your members which are upon the earth, fornication, sexual sin, number 1, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things the sake of the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which you walked in some time when you lived in them. Before you got saved, you used to do this stuff, but now put you off Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Why not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. 
Finally, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 3, for this time past of the life may su- suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness and lust, both sexual sin, again, first listed there, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. Hey, people should think that you're crazy because you don't drink and party and, and get involved in sexual sin the way that the unsaved people do. You're different now, Christian, unless you're not, and if, which your heart has never been regenerated or changed to desire the things of God as opposed to the things of this world. Because if you're a child of God, the fruit that comes out of your life should not be this list of wicked sins. It should be Galatians 5, and 23. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what comes out when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're walking with God. Not this other stuff here. So if your life is categorized by this, you need to stop and ask yourself a question. Am I saved? If you're sure that you're saved, you need to ask yourself, why am I not being obedient then? And finally... Verse number 32, and we're done with Romans chapter 1. How about that? Long sentence, but we're going to unpack it really quickly. While Christians must abstain from and repent of sin quickly, when you are involved in adultery, you need to stop and repent and be done with it. Don't allow it to take over your life. Uh, When it comes to envy, recognize it, repent of it, be done with it, move on. Uh, When it comes to any other types of sin in your life, identify it, repent of it, move on. At the same time, we cannot condone, enable, celebrate, take pleasure in, or be entertained by the sins of others. Take a look at what verse 32 says. Everybody who commits these things are worthy of death, but not just those people, those who have pleasure in them that do them. So if you take pleasure in the sins of other people, you are just as liable culpable and accountable for that as those that commit those sins. Hey, I don't practice homosexuality, but we're going to put a rainbow flag out in front of our church to say that we're with those that do. No, no, no. You're condoning what the Bible calls sin, and now you're just as guilty as those who commit those sins because you take pleasure in them. So any church that flies a, a rainbow flag or is Uh, gay affirming. Now, everybody's welcome here, but sinners are going to learn that sin is sin and we got to repent. And that means every single one of you too. But to say that your sin is okay, God's not going to punish your sin, it's just the way that you are, it's not the gospel, it's the opposite of the gospel. And we can't take pleasure in other people's sin. So, there have been times before there were television shows that I was very engaged in, that maybe I had binged watched a season or two, that the storyline then became about sexual immorality and who's having an affair with so-and-so and did they get caught and how they can hide it and things like that. If that's the case and you don't shut that garbage off in your house, you're taking pleasure in those who commit adultery. You're entertained by it. You think it's fun to watch. There's a time in my life where before I was walking with Jesus, and before I was married, that I didn't drink alcohol, but I sure did enjoy going out with the guys who did because they'd get drunk, they'd fall over, they'd act funny, they'd try to take girls home and stuff like that. I didn't do any of that, but I sure enjoyed watching them do it. According to Romans chapter 1, verse number 32, I was responsible just as much as the people committing those sins because I took pleasure in them that did it. 
And so you need to watch every single thing that comes into your, your mind and your heart and filter it. And, and here's, the, here's how society continues to get worse and worse and worse. What used to pass for pornography 25 years ago doesn't even raise any eyebrows anymore these days. And pornography has gotten progressively worse and worse and worse as the human heart craves more and more sin and can't be satisfied by it. Then we get into sexual deviancy like things like homosexuality and that's not enough for the human heart. And then we get into things like transgenderism and pornography and that's not enough for the human heart. And then we get into things like filthy things like group sex and things like that and the human heart that doesn't get enough. And we've gotten to the point in our society today where it is so filthy and disgusting that even part of television shows, part of the sexual immorality that goes on is sexual assault. The sexual violence against another person becomes part of the storyline. That there are, are types of pornography that celebrate the sexual assault of another person. And I would say, help me to understand, but I don't want to understand a society where sexual violence against another person is found entertaining. That's shameful, that's embarrassing. That is to destroy the dignity of a person who's created in the image of God and be entertained by violence against that person. I don't get it and I don't want to get it. You sound really passionate about that, Pastor, because we have become so desensitized to sin in our society today that people watch television shows. Christians watch television shows where sexual assault takes place and we just think it's the best show in the world where pornography takes place in shows and we just think it's entertainment. Well, Pastor, that, that thing doesn't really bother me. It bothers you to the depth of your core and the fact that you can't see it bothers me. We can't make any place in that life for us Christians. Look, God has spent verses 18 through 31 outlining the man who set him aside and chooses to follow after sin. And then verse 32, it gets us at the end. And if you take pleasure in those who live this wicked, sinful life, you're just as guilty as they are. The guy who wants to sit, the married guy who would never cheat on his wife, wants to sit at the office and hear about the sexual conquests of everybody else in the office, yeah, you're just as guilty. I got my hair cut here one time in, in town. I was trying to find a, a, a barber that would do a decent job on this mess that I've got on top. Uh, and uh, I finally found a place. And they were taking people, and I got an appointment. I went and sat. And I'm sitting in the chair with this guy. And the barber and the, the other barber in there and the guy that was sitting in the other chair began talking about women and the sexual nature. And I just felt really uncomfortable. And it started off like, oh, yeah, she was good looking. Oh, yeah, did you see her friend? And then, it, it, and then as sin does, it just continued to get worse and worse and worse. And I'm just, like, I'm literally, like, clenched inside, like, trying not to say something, not to be ugly, and not walk out with a half haircut. Um, <laughs> no lie. Um, and I was just inside. I felt filthy. I felt nasty. Uh, they began talking about things of a sexual nature. And, and, oh, yeah, I was with that girl one time, too. And they began to talk about things like that. And I was just like, oh, my. Like, and, like, he gets to, finishes my haircut. He was like, oh, oh, I'm trimming your beard, too. I was like, man, I don't have time for that today. I got to go. And no lie, I peeled off, like, 320s and, like, set them on the chair and got out as soon as I could. And I could actually breathe outside. And when, no lie, you're going to think, oh, Pastor, you're such a, a prude, whatever. You can say whatever you want about me. Every time I drive past that barber shop, like the hair on the back of my neck stands up, and I just feel filthy from having even been in there. I hope 
that you will get a deep-seated hate of sin that way so that when people who are lost and without Jesus make light of sin, you're like, "Uh uh-uh, not on my watch. Nope, not me. I hope you keep the standard of holiness in your home high so that this type of garbage doesn't make it past. My, my daughter Tallulah was watching a television show the other day. I don't even remember what it was. It was something from Nickelodeon or something like that. And they asked the kid, oh, you want to come over and play? And the kid says, oh, I don't know. I have to ask both my dads. And, she, and she's four. She didn't pick it up. I picked it up. And I said, hey, why don't we find something else to watch? And I turned it off. We don't watch that show anymore. And you say, well, you think somebody saying that's going to turn your kid gay? You know, like, what do you think? No, I think my kid's being desensitized to accept things that God calls sin. I believe that. I believe there's an agenda. Are you conspiracy theorists? I'm not. There's evidence that there's an agenda to change my kids, my four-year-olds, thinking about what the Bible calls sin. And I'm going to stand against that. I'm going to encourage you to do the same. And look, you can call me a prude all day if you want to. I'm keeping my marriage together. I'm trying to protect my kids' purity before they get married. You can call me all the names you want to. I, I choose to stand on God's word. Most important thing in the world, you might be sitting here today going, man, that, this is crazy, man. There's 23 things, it's that big of a deal. You might not be saved. I want to encourage you to be saved today. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and have your life changed. For those of us that call ourselves Christians, does your life reflect anything on that list of the things that God says the unsaved man does? If so, fix it today. Repent and come back to a right relationship with God and show people what real deal Christians live like. Let's do that this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.